You're listening to the Right Mindset Podcast with Raquel Henry. This is episode 15. This podcast is sponsored by and associated with my writing studio, Writer's Atelier. I'm an author, editor, writing coach, and part-time professor who believes that mindset work is the cornerstone of writing success. Welcome, welcome, old listeners and new. At the time of this recording, my novelette is almost live. I am praying that all my cover woes have been solved by the time this episode goes up. I have been, as you guys know, last year I started publishing holiday romances. And this year I decided to release a new one. I can't tell you how much uh, how much of a different process this has been. And I'll probably do a separate podcast episode uh, about this. But so far I'm really glad that I pushed to get there. I had to fight a lot of fear and imposter syndrome with this one. Even though I had written the story last year for Nano, getting it ready to go polished up, you know, rounds of editing and formatting and has to go to formatting and then, you know, getting the cover done. It's all been just really hectic, I guess. I mean, I suppose it, it could be, <laughs> I could chalk it up to it being 2020. But yeah, it's been, it, it was, it's, a, it's been a, difficult process with this one. I'm not going to even sugarcoat it. And I've just been trying to push past a lot of the things that are trying to stand in my way of publishing it. And ultimately, I really had to go back to my why. And my why is that I love telling these stories. And they put a giant smile on my face, as I say all the time on here. Uh, And I don't care how corny it sounds. But I had I basically decided all that mattered was that I was happy writing this kind of story, holiday romances that, you know, remind you of Hallmark. And I really, I'm not going to let anything get in the way, in the way of that. And darn it, we all need to hold on to the things that bring us joy, especially after this year. So hopefully everything is solved by the time this episode goes live. If not, then, you know, I'm still going to push it. I'm still going to get it out. It just may not be on the timeline that I want. Um, And, you know, as I say, everything happens in the time that it's supposed to, right? So there's your woo-woo moment (laughs) for this this segment. Today, though, I'm actually bringing you an author I've only been casually stalking since Christmas Con last year. You guys might have uh, recalled that I went to Christmas Con last year. And if you don't know what Christmas Con is, it's basically a fandom con conference and it's kind of like the ones for comics but you know Christmas (laughs) and last year Hallmark Channel was one of the sponsors and there were a ton of actors from my favorite Hallmark movies there it was completely magical you guys like there's no other way to describe it than magical I got on a plane I went straight to the convention center I fangirled all day and then I got back on a plane that evening. That's definitely one of the most wild things that I've done. Um, I only went for the day and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, but I am glad I did it because I had so much fun. That also meant that I didn't get to attend the whole thing, which also meant that I missed the writer's panel on Sunday. There was going to be a writer's panel um, where they talked about writing holiday stories and um, for TV and movies. And Elise Murray was on that panel. And when I saw that she was going to be on the panel, I that's how I found her online. And I immediately followed her. <laughs> and I was actually hoping to bump into her while I was there to kind of like, you know, just say hi and, you know, how much, you know, tell her how much I admired her. And that, you know, one day I also, I too would want to do what she was doing. And I did not get to <laughs> did not get to see her. So I think I had commented on one of her photos, you know, on the it was the last day of Christmas con, I believe, and you know, she posted about the panel. And I said, I'm so sad that I missed it. You know, I was completely bummed. And she was the sweetest person. Like she told me that I could DM her and then she said I could email her and if I ever had questions or wanted to talk about what it was like writing for Hallmark and writing holiday movies that she would be completely open to it. And, you know, since that 
time, you know, since that point, we kind of kept in touch very, very loosely, you know, just, you know, commenting here and there, or like a DM here and there. And so then I actually all this time was working up my nerve to ask her for an interview. And I screamed when she agreed. She didn't know I screamed, but I screamed when she agreed. And then uh, promptly, promptly went to gush about it to my family. But Elise has written for both Hallmark and Lifetime. And I just I mean, I'm a total fangirl over her. Um, she has several novels out as well. And of course, we're going to link to all that stuff in the show notes. She's incredibly inspiring. And I'm just going to let you guys listen to all the wisdom and, you know, hear it for yourself. So here's Elise's formal bio. Elise Murray is a screenwriter and novelist from New Orleans, Louisiana. After Hallmark Publishing released her debut novel, The Christmas Company, in 2018, she went on to publish several single titles with Entangled and The Wild Rose Press. Her Halloween romance, Love Spells for the End of the World is widely considered a Halloween romance classic, and two books of her recent series with Book Couture, The Magnolia Sisters, and Sweet Peace Summer have reached Amazon's top 100 bestseller list. In 2019, Elise expanded her writing work to include screenplays, and her first film, Christmas in Louisiana, was one of Lifetime's highest-rated 2019 movies. She believes in telling romantic, hopeful, and heartwarming stories. Let's listen to my conversation with Elise now. Welcome to the podcast, Elise. I am really, really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Elise? You know, what, what do you write? Who is Elise Murray? Um, well, I am a novelist and a screenwriter. Um, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana originally, but um, I kind of travel a little bit all over the world now. And, um, you know, I, I write stories and I, I believe that uh, every story is better with kissing. So um, even if I don't write you a romance novel, it will definitely have kissing in it. So, uh, you know, I try and write just hopeful stories no matter the, uh, the medium. How did you get started on your writing journey how how did you decide you wanted to be a writer in a little bit more of a serious capacity because you're pretty much you're writing full-time now right yes I am I actually had kind of a strange journey I um originally you know I, I always loved writing like as a kid I was a voracious reader so um I read just so much and I think kind of naturally if you're a really big reader you know, your mind kind of wanders into, well, how would I tell this story? Or how would I fix that story that that writer ruined? Or, you know, things like that. Um, and so I, I wrote a bunch as a kid and in high school. Um, but when I went to college, I really wanted to be a theater director. I wanted to kind of work on Broadway and do big Broadway musicals. And um, in my second year of college, I, I had to take a playwriting class. And I had a playwriting professor who just pulled me aside and he said, you know, you're, you're really good at this. You're a good writer. And I think it's something that you should kind of pursue. And um, I was kind of having trouble. I was at NYU in New York city and I was kind of having trouble living there. <laughs> um, New York was kind of uh, not my scene apparently. And um, I was kind of sick all the time and I was very anxious and uh, NYU offered a program you could apply to to go to London for a semester and study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts um, and with the Writers Guild of Great Britain. And you would write a play and they would do a reading of it off, off the West End. And um, I applied thinking I wouldn't get in and then I would just have an excuse to like keep living in New York and being sad. <laughs> and um, I did get in and I went over there and I, and I wrote a couple of plays and absolutely fell in love with writing. And at the time I, I had met well, two things kind of happened at the same time, more or less. I um, met the man who would eventually become my husband. And he was like totally encouraging of my writing. He just really thought it was amazing. And, and I've never met someone really who was as supportive of my dreams as he is. Um, but at the same time, I also was in a film studies class. And we were talking about how in British cinema, as with most cinema in the world, you know, there really aren't enough female storytellers and, and female directors and female writers. And I had a guy in my class who said, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's because no one, no one wants to pay to hear women talk about things. 
He's like, no one, no one's going to buy that basically. And I was so angry. (laughs) I was just like, you know, I was like totally seeing red. And so I made a promise that for a whole year, um, I would only buy and and read books by women. Mm -hmm. And one of the places that I could most reliably do that was in the romance section of the bookstore. You know, you go to any romance section, it's 99.99% female authors. And um, I just fell in love with romance storytelling. And I, I loved the way that it really was all about hope and about, you know, how much stronger we are as people when we're in communities and when we're uplifting each other and loving each other. And so my, my boyfriend at the time, he, you know, said, you really should write one. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to write one of these. I'm not good enough to write a book. And, um, I, I ended up doing just that. And then I wrote a couple that kind of went nowhere. And then, um, my, I guess my second full length novel that I finished was the Christmas company. And I was writing it. I was kind of towards the, the end of the writing process for the Christmas company. And then I saw on Twitter, Hallmark publishing was opening up to unaided to submissions. And I was like, this is like, it's fate, you know, to have like a Christmas, a sweet Christmas book. And Hallmark was doing these book submissions and I sent it. And like three or four weeks later, they, they emailed me and said, you know, we want to, we want to buy this. And um, it was actually really funny because I was <laughs> on Twitter and I was stalking all of the um, freelance editors for Hallmark. <laughs> and one of them, one of them had tweeted, she's like, oh my gosh, this new book, I just got it. I really hope it holds up. It's so great. And I screenshotted my agent at the time. And I was like, I, is this about me? Do you think this is about me? I hope it's about me. <laughs> and um, it turns out it was, it was about me. And, and, and then they bought it. So after that, you know, I, I it, it was kind of the first real vote of confidence I had that like, I could do this professionally. And, and at least one of my stories was good enough for other people to see. <laughs> so from yeah. there, you know, it just kind of snowballed. Now, Elise, I just have to stop here to say that that is like, you're living my dream. <laughs> like, I, I mean, wow, what, uh, what a story, because I think a lot of us writers actually do that, whether, you know, we're submitting to Hallmark, or if we're submitting for agents, or we're, our book is on submission with publishers, we're sort of checking um, social feeds to see if they're talking about our oh, yes. projects and um, hoping that they are, and yours like came true. I mean, that's such a uh, uninspiring story. Yeah, I think um, that's why and, I haven't been able to break the habit. Even now, kind of where I am, I still do it. <laughs> even with even with yeah. editors who have my book, I'll like who I know are you know like. So when I work with Bookature, I very frequently will check my editor's Twitter and be like okay, she has my book. It's an edit. So she like it. Is she posting about how she has some stupid author who isn't good at writing anymore? <laughs> you know, like I do it at every stage at every phase of every single book. Um, and, and I was, I had to, I was found a new agent this summer. My old agent retired and I spent way more time than I should have on Twitter looking at every single agent I had ever submitted to <laughs> and their Twitter feeds. And, and I, I have not yet had a moment like that first one, but, uh, but it does happen writers. It does happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So we, we, I gotta, we gotta hold on to that. Um, if we don't have hope, then, you know, what do we have? Um, I love that though. And I am a huge, I mean, anyone, you know, I run this, with the studio, we, we've got a lot of writers who are part of our regular community and everyone knows that I am the biggest Hallmark fan on the planet. It's like, it might as well be Marvel or, <laughs> you know, comic book fandom for me because I'm, I'm such a Hallmark fan. So I think that that's so cool that you were able to get your book in. And there are lots of writers out there actually who submitted to Hallmark publishing and, you know, like didn't hear back. So that's really cool that, you got in and yeah, they actually, they're the, everyone who I've talked to, you know, both on the Hallmark side and agents and other writers right now, it's just, it's the hardest contract in publishing to get, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard. And um, I haven't sold another one to them since then, you know, it's, it's a really, really tricky kind of sweet spot to hit. So, um, you know, I, I really do admire everyone who's 
been able to put one out there. And, and of course, all the fans are just so voracious and they are so wonderful. And it really was a fantastic experience to get to write for Hallmark. Yeah. And you got to go on Home and Family, right? <laughs> I did. I did. That was really wild, too. Um, that it was, it was so weird. So I was living in London and I had to fly to L.A. And um, I was there for a couple of days early, you know, and, and then my mom came and met me. And I had to email the producer and be like, is it okay if my mom comes? <laughs> and so it was just me and my mom on the home, the home and family set, like in our little trailer, you know, eating the craft services. And <laughs> it was a, uh, it was such a surreal experience to get to go and talk about my book that way. Yeah. But so cool. <laughs> really yes. cool. Very. I want to um, back up just a little bit. So you had mentioned before you submitted your novel to Hallmark publishing um, you had written a couple other novels and they didn't really go anywhere. So what was your mindset like during that time? And what what did you do to keep going so that you eventually got to that point where you wrote that novel that Hallmark would eventually like? Yeah, so the first book I wrote that I, that I finished, the first kind of romance novel I wrote I, it was a book about um, kind of an alternate history British monarchy. And it, it's about kind of two royal brothers. And the oldest one, who's the heir, is like the perfect heir, you know, like just does everything the queen says, you know, sort of mm-hmm. um, but kind of the ideal royalty. And then his brother is just a total, total screw up. Can't do anything right. Always in the tabloids. And it, <laughs> they find out that... Um, the older brother has like an incurable form of brain cancer. And mm-hmm. so he basically has to rush to get married and find and, and have an heir before his screw up brother, before he dies and his screw up brother, you know, ends up taking the throne. And, um, you know, as someone who was still kind of new to reading the romance genre and coming from more of a, I guess, sort of women's fiction background where those kind mm-hmm. of stories are more, more okay. Because yeah. um, because it ends in like a happily for now, you know they they do end up together, they get married, um, the hero and the heroine. But you know, I didn't realize at the time how hard it would be to sell a romance premise that had cancer in it, you know. And and obviously now I I totally get why, but at the time I was just kind of banging my head against the wall. I'm like, but this is high stakes drama. This is what readers want. And of course every romance editor was like, nope, no, it's not. <laughs> it isn't. Um, and so for my, as for my mindset, it, it really just became about understanding and kind of internalizing that there are two things I think. One is that um, I think every writer has stories that they need to write, but not necessarily that everyone needs to read. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, that, that every book and every piece of writing that you do is um, not only can it be retooled and remanufactured into something later, you know, it might not be ready right now, but you might be able to tweak it and and reshape it and reform it into something you can sell, but also that it's part of your learning experience. You know, Um, I come from a family, not really of artists at all, but my, they're all kind of, my grandfather's a a hall of fame basketball coach. My grandmother, you know, was a, was a cheerleader. My, all my parents were, and aunts and uncles were athletes. And so their equivalent of, you know, missing the buzzer beater shot in the state championship is my not selling that book. And that's a learning experience. And it's like, you know, it's all about training your muscles and getting better and how you develop yourself and, and, and sort of your writing skills as if you were an athlete it really became to me about how every piece of writing that I do is just training to be a better writer tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. to me, it was all just about kind of reframing what success looks like. And it may not be selling at the moment, ultimate success may be selling, but becoming a better writer to eventually have that, that big breakout sell, I think just oh, kind of reshaping what you think, yeah. <laughs> which is hard. No, it's I love so hard. That. It's beyond hard. I was just talking to another writer I was interviewing the other day about that and about, you know, also like, I think we writers sort of get in our heads what success looks like, right? Because we look around, we see what other writers are doing. We see, you know, maybe 
other writers getting deals and agents and things like mm-hmm. that, or, you know, even, you know, hitting numbers on Amazon lists. And we think that, you know, like, here's what success is supposed to look like, but really success is whatever you as an individual thinks is successful. Absolutely. Sometimes success is really finishing a draft or yeah. sitting down to write every day, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, I, I, um, another story, I had a professor in college who, um, he was a, uh, a drag performer. He, he, you know, taught during the day. And then at night he did, he had like cabarets that he, he hosted and performed. That's cool. And he was fantastic. His name was Salty Brine. I love him. <laughs> um, and Salty, uh, told us one day, you know, because every week his class was called Salon and he would invite another theater artist into class and they would talk about their work and their lives and, um, how they got th- basically what we're doing right now. Right. And, um, Salty was talking to a guy who, had like worked on Broadway and he was very famous. And when, when that, that guy left Salty said, you know, everything in this business is about perspective. And he said, you know, me as Salty, my dream was to save enough money so I could take off the summers and get out of New York city. So Mm. that was his definition of success was teaching and doing his performing enough that during the summer he could go travel wherever he wanted to go. And like for the other guy, it was being on Broadway and winning a Tony award. And I think those dreams are allowed to change and they're allowed to shift. But I also do think having ones that are just yours and you're not comparing them to, you know, kind of the highlight reel that is social media can be really important to kind of your longevity and and sanity in this business for sure. (laughs) So let me ask you that since we're on the subject of, I like to call it comparisonitis. Um, oh how do you tune that out or, or at least, you know, manage it when you are online and seeing other writers doing things? I know I have to sort of like talk to myself each time. And to be honest, I'm genuinely excited for writers. I, I actually really like seeing writer news. It's just that, you know, sometimes news can hit on a day that maybe you're having like you're you might be having a rough day and so it sort of feels like well when is it going to be my turn (laughs) but yes how do you how do you handle that oh I don't I don't handle that oh no ma'am I absolutely do not no I'm kidding kind of um I you know I, I think I always tell people that Twitter is a perpetual jealousy machine, which is really how it, um, it feels to me sometimes. So, you know, of course I've made some really fantastic friends on the internet through writing groups and Twitter Mm -hmm. and Instagram, like social media can be such a great tool, but it can also be such a big hindrance to you and, and your belief in yourself. And honestly, for me, I, I really do have a problem with it. I already have just, rock bottom self-esteem when it comes to my work. So I have had to, in the past, use social media tools to block out words like big news. And uh, oh, I had to block basically everything that came out of the Frankfurt Book Festival. <laughs> I was like, nope, not looking at that. And, and basically what I had to do was I had to, to find ways on social media that I could seek out the information about people that I really cared about. So I wanted to make sure I knew if my really good friend got a book deal or if so-and-so got an agent, like I wanted to be able to support people without it damaging me. And and part of it just comes from, you know, how you allow yourself to be exposed to the information. So if you are having a, a bad writing day or you're really struggling with your, your confidence in your work, Sometimes I do have to turn those filters on and just be like, look, I will check tomorrow to see if big news happened to anyone and I will be so happy for them and I'll cheer for them and root for them. And I'm obviously going to buy that amazing book they wrote. But for today, I got to step away and and just focus on, on me and my own kind of health. So it is really hard. And it's, it's always a balance between, you know, rising tides, lift all ships and, you know, wanting your little boat (laughs) to move up, you know, and, and feeling like, you know, feeling like your tides aren't rising because other people are getting great things and you're not. And I I hate to, I feel like I'm kind of a downer in that. I haven't really, as of yet, I haven't created 
enough self-esteem and, and, and sort of edified myself enough to always be ready for, you mm-hmm. know, someone else's really big news, but I'm working on it. I think it is always going to be a process for all of us as writers yeah. and as creators to, yeah. um, to really be able to celebrate other people while also knowing that your time could come at any, any moment. I do that too. I, I usually just, I'm not on social media if, if I'm having a rough day. Yeah. Um, which is the smartest thing to do. You're way smarter than me. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just totally addicted. So what? Well, that's a whole, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, in general, like all of us probably have that, that, that thing we do where we are looking at what everybody else is doing, you know, and we, we do all, I think imposter syndrome is just oh, such yeah. a huge thing for writers and it, it can almost elevate that. I guess if you're sort of seeing everybody, you know, with their news, I actually, I didn't realize you could do the filter thing. So I might, I might have to look into doing that. Cause I didn't know you could like filter certain words so that posts that contain those words don't show up. I like that. Yeah. I've definitely had to do that. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I agree with you. It, it absolutely does feed imposter syndrome, especially, you know, so much of what we do as writers happens behind the scenes and before anyone ever hears news about it, you know? And so if you're doing all of this work and and you're really digging in and you're, and you're ready for your next kind of big moment in the sun and you're seeing all these other people get all these accolades and you're like, wait, I've been working my behind off and and no one's giving me any props. (laughs) Like, you know, like it can be really, really difficult and, and it can feed that like, you know, sometimes being an author feels theoretical. <laughs> like yeah. I do so much work in my room. And then when I leave, I'm like, did I do that? That work was real, right? Like I definitely did my job today. Yes. <laughs> because you're not, you don't get that kind of immediate feedback of, of people's responses to it and, and telling you that, you know, congratulations, you're great. You did such a good job today. And not having that sort of cheerleading squad can really mm-hmm. make you feel like you're faking it. You know, I, it is, it is totally something that you have to, if you're going to be in this profession, if you're going to create like this, it it has Mm -hmm. to be things that you kind of create your own personal coping mechanisms for. And I think, you know, I think it's healthy to talk about these things though, because, you know, it's like I, you mentioned, you know, like this is something that you will probably be continuously working on. I mean, I often feel like mindset work in general is something that has to be practiced. Yes. You cannot just be, a, you can't just have a positive mindset and be, you know, like, you know, I say this all the time, you can't just snap your fingers, right? And, and to be honest, I mean, it's not when you are a positive person, it's not that you're never going to have a negative thought ever again, really, really what mindset work does is it sort of teaches you how to move past those moments, those down moments that you have, because you're going to keep having them. You just have to sort of, I guess, practice how to keep getting back on the horse. Hundred um, percent. But I also I wanted to ask you a little bit too to the just kind of goes hand in hand. This goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, but fear, right? The the mm-hmm. fear that also comes along with writing, and even the fear that comes along with success. I mean, mm-hmm. even like right now, you've got a ton of books out. Um, I went on your website and I took a look, and I have like four of your romances, and um, you even have a movie, you, you sold a screenplay. So how do you handle the fear or I guess at least balance it, try to balance it with all the amount of su- success that you've had so far? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it's kind of, I feel like because I am, I am quite new, like in my professional life, I've only been professionally doing this for, I guess, three years or so. I feel as though I've kind of hit a point because what, how I used to cope with those feelings, with that fear of like, Oh, I'll never sell another book or I'll never be worth anything. Or Mm -hmm. I used to cope with that by working literally until I fell asleep on my keyboard. (laughs) You know, I would just kind of run myself ragged and burn myself out kind of filling up the fear hole with as much productivity and it was like, okay, well, even if I'm not selling very much, I'm writing so much. And look at me. I'm such a, I'm a writer because I write 10 and a half hours a day. And then I take a break for dinner and then I write for five more hours. And then I go to sleep and my husband's already in bed, you know, <laughs> now in this last year or so, um, I wrote four books this year. 
um, and all of them are already published um, because of the way that Bookature does their, their release schedules. It's all quite compact. And I, I found myself towards the end of, you know, um, or not the end of quarantine, but, you know, uh, towards the end of the summer, I guess, I really started to chafe against those feelings of, you know, I can't keep working myself this way or I'm, I'm going to be unhappy with the work that I'm producing. And so now I'm, I'm sort of trying to find the balance between writing work that I am extremely proud of and allowing myself to be afraid that no one else is ever going to like it. And I, I think, I think a lot of times, and, and I am especially guilty of this, we think of fear as something to avoid and, and something that can kind of paralyze us. And it, it absolutely can be um, one of those things, but I, I do sometimes feel that fear can be useful and it, it can be something we can sort of embrace and we can kind of look it in the face and say, yep, but I, I believe enough in this idea or this book or this concept or um, this way of telling a story that I'm going to do it anyway. And I think using fear as a way to kind of measure um, your goals and your aspirations and how willing you are to fight for something can actually be quite useful in your journey and in, in, in adjusting your mindset as a writer. So I don't know if that made sense, but absolutely it makes sense. And I love that perspective of it because I mean, a lot of mindset work, right, is reframing your thinking. And we talk a lot on here about reframing thinking, especially with regard to rejection. But I really like that perspective about reframing the thinking around fear and using it, sort of like flipping that on its head there and using it as a tool for your writing journey instead. I love that. Makes absolute sense. I want to ask you a little bit about your routine as a writer. Are you... Once you decided you, you know, you're pursuing this seriously, are you writing every single day or are you writing on a schedule that you have selected that works for you? What does that look like? So it definitely depends with every project and um, with every sort of uh, task that I take on. Generally speaking, when I first started writing, I wrote every single day, literally as many hours as I could until I got carpal tunnel, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> I would, I would write too much, I think, objectively. And again, kind of going along with that, that burnout conversation, I had to set some boundaries and say, you know, you, you have to take weekends off. You can't be writing on Saturday and Sunday. You, you can't write after a certain time at night. And I mean, like sitting down to have a writing session. I don't mean like if I have an idea, I'm not going to write it down. <laughs> but yeah. I, I had to kind of set office hours for myself in terms of how I would frame my, my writing day and my time. And I also had to set very hard boundaries for other people. And I'd say, you know, nope, this is my writing time. And I, I need you to be respectful of my writing time. And they're like, well, why can't you just write at night? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to lunch with you so I can write more tonight. <laughs> I'm write right now at my writing time. Yeah. It, 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 I, so right now what I do basically, if I have a book that I have a deadline for. So, you know, if I'm writing a book for Bookature and they say, you know, your first draft is due X day. Very simply, I just go into Scrivener and they have a, a section where you can put in like, what's your word count goal? What days of the week do you want to write? What day is it due? And it creates like a writing plan for you on like how many words a day you need to write. That's cool. And, and I, I have to kind of be fairly strict with myself about making sure I hit that word count you know, on my writing days and then going back on the, I usually try and write in the morning if I can. And then depending on, on how hard the writing is, you know, every day, some days it just comes out of you in two hours. And then some days you're there until five o'clock, just struggling for every word you can get. But <laughs> generally what I, I try to do is I try and write in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I go back and I edit what I just wrote. So mm -hmm. it's clean as possible when I have to send it to somebody else. Um, and then, you know, when, when you work on a couple of projects at once, um, so right now I, I'm finishing up a screenplay for Lifetime. I'm finishing up a screenplay for Hallmark. I'm working on a screenplay for MTV. And so it's like a bunch of projects at once, not necessarily all books. So mm -hmm. I have to kind of more intricately plot out my day <laughs> so yeah. to, to make sure that I, can navigate between all of those different formats and, and genres and tones and styles. So 
Wow, well, I find that that's very impressive. <laughs> um, I find my brain, I, I'm, and I'm sure at some point, I'm not going to have the luxury of, of doing this, but it's like my brain has trouble doing multiple projects. And when I mean multiple projects, I don't mean like, like, for example, this, this, this time for NaNoWriMo, I'm sort of splitting my word count across projects. But I find that if I like am on deadline for something specifically, it's almost like I can't, I'm, I get very tunnel vision. <laughs> like I can't oh, yeah. concentrate yeah, I, on the other things. I have kind of the opposite effect where, mm-hmm. especially if I'm on a deadline for a book that's quite tight, I actually can find it to be very useful to switch to something else. And it mm-hmm. kind of gives the other part of my brain time to kind of like rest and recuperate before I have to go yeah, back. Yeah. So sometimes I think it can be useful. Sometimes it does kind of get like, oh my gosh, what is the name of this stupid character? I don't remember, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I have to like, you know, have all my notes out and make sure I'm keeping things straight. Um, mm-hmm. I did turn in a screenplay recently to the producer that I work with and the hero of that was just called the wrong name for half the movie because I was calling him what I had written in another book project so I had to go back and fix that obviously but uh yeah it's a little bit of both sometimes good and sometimes bad (laughs) like writing itself really yeah so you mentioned I just want to touch on this a little bit you mentioned there you know looking at your notes and such are you somebody who sort of plots things out ahead of time it really just depends um I have tried to get better about plotting and 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 being more kind of uh, disciplined about like setup and payoff and but usually when I go into a story I know I, I have the first act pretty well ironed out and I usually know um kind of like my last image or my last scene or kind of that last sort of, you know, kind of gut punch you want to give to the audience. And then I, I plot out, I don't plot out, but I, I sort of map out what I want the emotional journeys of my two main characters to be. Mm-hmm. And then I let that guide me between act one and the finale. So I don't really, I'm not an especially thorough plotter, <laughs> but I do, I do try and maintain, you know, a lot of discipline in terms of how I, I tell the emotional core of the story for sure. I imagine too, cause I'm, I'm currently doing the screenplay thing and I am being, hopefully my instructor's not listening. I am <laughs> being forced to, <laughs> to outline it out, <laughs> which is not something I have, you know, been really great at. So I always, I, I'm all, I'm of the camp. Like I'm in the camp of like my characters sort of tell me what to do as I'm writing and it, mm-hmm. I'm finding writing you know screenplays very much different from writing you know a novel for example and the outline is just killing me <laughs> yeah the outlines are always my hardest part I I've, I have not I guess I've written a couple of them for books but you know sometimes if you turn a project to an editor they want to have your you know your summary your outline but then when I started to write the movies you go through several rounds notes drafts mm-hmm. just on your outline <laughs> before they even will let you write you know interior day you know so it 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 has been a useful skill to learn it has not been one that I've employed my books thus far (laughs) I'm kind of allergic to it at this point (laughs) I'm glad I'm not alone because I wondered that too I'm like well I guess this is very helpful but I wonder if I'll use it you know later on for books and such because I I definitely don't do that now and I am seeing that, you know, with this, I'm taking a class on it and I, my instructor will give us feedback at each point. And so the first part was creating like half of the outline and my next half is due in a couple of weeks and definitely got back some notes. And I'm doing the thing that I am used to doing, which is being short winded. Just I discovered that my my scenes in each act were too short so I'm not as far along as I thought (laughs) oh I've been there I've been there for sure don't worry okay good well that's that makes me feel just a little bit better (laughs) not alone on that all right so are you finding it a a little bit hard to write during this year I know we we, you know we oh no question it is so hard it's the hardest thing I've ever done no it's absolutely I um this has been the year that I've had the most to do. Like I've, I've had the most kind of contract work and it's the first year that I really felt like a professional writer, you know? 
but everything I wrote was just the hardest thing I've ever written. <laughs> um, the only thing that was easy was I, so during quarantine, um, like the very beginning of quarantine, my husband and I got trapped in Portugal. Um, we were traveling at the time and then, you know, they stopped doing flights out of Portugal to the U S so we got stuck. And so while we were there, we were like in the little rented apartment. Uh, someone told me that I should watch Smallville and I of course watched Smallville and it was amazing. And <laughs> Uh, then I fell in love with Lex Luthor and decided that I needed to write a book about a hero that was like Lex Luthor. And I wrote that book. I think it was the second fastest I've ever written a book. And because it was basically just me writing fan fiction about a character I thought was cute. And, um, it, 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 that to me, I think one of the lessons that I, I really did take away from this whole year, um, if, if any lesson could be taken away from 2020, was really, you know, the importance of writing things that do bring you joy um, and, and carving out time in your writing process um, to really tell stories or write poems or music lyrics or whatever it is that you that maybe no one else will ever see, but that that is meaningful to you and that it's a story or an idea that you really want to get out there. And um, for me, that was basically Superman fan, fan fiction. Um, but it really was important to kind of reconnecting to my joy in writing. And, you know, when it becomes a job, sometimes it can feel, you know, like a job, you know, like, oh, I don't want to get up and I don't want to write today. And this is stupid. And why am I doing this? But when you reconnect with that original joy you found in writing, it can really make the rest of the work that you do, even if it's hard, and even if it's during a difficult time, it can make that really sparkle again. It can really give you that passion and energy back. I love that. I think that's an important message too for writers about not everything you write has you know, people have to look at. Yes. Um, you can write things for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you can write I, things to practice. Oh, absolutely. It's great practice. And, you know, I think we live in a, we live in a society. Um, our world has kind of been constructed to where we, we feel like we have to monetize every single thing. And yeah, I'm yeah. absolutely guilty of that. And, and of yeah. course, you know, if you do work, you want to be paid for it. That's not like a bad thing. But sometimes it can be, really helpful to just write something that you're never going to make a penny off of, or you'll never even show another person just because yeah. it makes you happy. Yeah. I have, um, during, especially during the pandemic, I kind of took up journaling. I really like oh, yeah. writing sometimes just what's upsetting me or annoying me or, you know, absolutely. you know, it's such a good release. hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you too. So um, you're, you mentioned rest um, early on. So I am taking it that rest is probably one of the ways that you take care of your mind outside of writing. Is there anything else that you do besides rest to, you know, kind of just, you know, give yourself, give your brain a little bit of a breather from writing? Yeah. So um, I had a, a professor once who it was actually he was an acting professor um you know because every every monday we would go into acting class and he would say you know what did you do this weekend and of course you know i was in a class with a bunch of actors so all of them would be like i went and saw 12 plays this weekend to study the craft of acting and <laughs> he told us you know he's like um He's like, that's great. You know, study is really great and practice is great and rehearsing is great and all of those things are really important. But as creatives, you know, creating is not like, it's not a faucet that you can just keep running until there's no water left in the world. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you can't just turn it off. You can't just turn it on. You, you have to give yourself a break. You have to let yourself recover and recharge. Um, yeah. So of course, you know, um, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, so I used to just read romance novels. Like that was literally all I read. And then I realized that I was going crazy. So <laughs> I had to expand. Um, so I, I read a lot of nonfiction, which is great because then I'm not 
kind of the problem with reading a lot of romance not is not that romance isn't good it's just that I found myself I was still working you know I was reading the book and like mining it for what I could learn from it as a writer and how I could do it and and then I just was never taking a break I was just still working so I had to Mm -hmm. find books that weren't (laughs) things that I would ever write and then I learned just to relax and enjoy someone telling me a story I also love to go on really long walks um, I take swing dancing classes online, which oh, wow, is that's cool. <laughs> so much fun. Like, I think I writing is so solitary and it's so sedentary. Like you're, you really are just yeah. sitting there for a couple hours a day, trying to milk your brain for all of its emotions. Um, mm-hmm. so it's really fun just to get on your feet and do something totally silly and ridiculous that you would never do. Probably well, I have taken them in public. I have taken swing dancing classes in public, but it is really nice just to kind of put on some big band swing music and like do ponies for two hours. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so um, I do really encourage all writers, even if it's just a walk around the block, you know, to get your, get some fresh air, get your brain moving again. Um, it's a great way to sort of recharge and, and refocus your mind. Yeah. I didn't even know you could take swing dancing classes online. I mean, obviously like just about everything these days is like online um, you know, with the state of the world, <laughs> but, um, that's really cool that you can do it online. I, I personally like to take dance breaks, like yes. during the day while I'm writing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so swing dancing sounds fun though. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. It's, um, it's by, in, in, at Mardi Gras parades. I don't know. So I'm from New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. they have marching crews that go in between the floats and they usually do dances and stuff. And so they have one group called the NOLA Chorus Girls who all of their dances are like inspired by the 30s and 40s, like, you know, big musicals. And so they have started to do classes online during COVID and you like learn a routine and like you're supposed to film yourself at the end and then they edit it all together. And um, I'm supposed to record my video sometime this week, but uh, I'm very nervous. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes. I'm sure you did do awesome. I that sounds like so much fun. I might have to look that up because it sounds cool. <laughs> All right. So, what's one piece of advice that you would give a writer? You know, basically, right now, trying to make it, whether they want to publish independently or if they want to publish traditionally or be, you know, a hybrid author. What's a valuable piece of advice you could give to someone just trying to make it to their to whatever writing goal that they desire? You know, I think that that's like easily the hardest question you could ask anyone. Because <laughs> um, I think about this all the time because it's every time I do an interview or anything like this, this is the question that they ask. And, you know, I think if I had to give one piece of advice for any kind of writer, no matter what you are hoping to do, I would say... Um, what other people doing or sorry, what other people are doing is none of your business, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and, And to go back to what we talked about earlier, you have to, when you begin, you have to evaluate what is your vision of success. And no matter what anyone else is doing, no matter what accomplishments they are fulfilling, no matter what stage they've gotten to, you have to keep working towards your own goal. If you do that, and if you allow yourself just to focus on you, then eventually you are going to, you know, find that, that happiness, that, that fulfillment. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. Absolutely. So where are you hanging out, Elise? Where can people find you if they want to connect with you or buy your books, reach out maybe even? Yeah, I am at um, elisemurray.com uh, is my website. Um, there you can find all of my social media, but if you're on Instagram or Twitter, I'm at writer Elise. And then on Instagram or on Facebook, I'm Elise Murray author. Awesome. And we will link to all of that, of course. So if you guys um, want to check that out, it'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Elise, for being here. I can't tell you how much it's meant to me. It's been such a pleasure to, to get to talk to you and connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. That's it. How fantastic is Elise? I found myself thinking about our conversation long after, and there were so many pieces of wisdom that I know I'm going to go back to this episode again and again. I hope you guys are too. I had to try 
extra, extra, extra hard not to fangirl <laughs> on this one. <laughs> uh, she has written for Hallmark and Lifetime, y'all. Like, you know, that is, that's the dream. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are on the episode. So be sure to share this episode on your social platforms and tag both Elise and Writers Atelier. I'm going to include all the social links in the show notes as always. And I'd also like to take this second to remind you to pick up Elise's books. They will be linked in the show notes as well. And check out her Lifetime movie. One more thing. I wanted to remind you all that our studio, Writers Atelier, has an accountability program for writers called The Right Gym. Actually, The Right Gym is entering into its fourth year, which I am so proud of. It's actually one of my favorite things that the studio has done since opening. And I I just am really so proud of the program and I'm proud of the writers in the program. We've formed just this really close-knit, supportive community. And I'm going to be talking a little bit more about The Right Gym in the coming weeks. But if you're looking for a supportive group going into 2021, that comes with coaching, it might be a good fit for you. And I will, of course, link to that in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening, you all. If you're enjoying The Right Mindset, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also check out Writers Atelier at writersatelier.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you're interested in joining our membership, you can do so through Patreon. Special thanks to our podcast editor, Allie Grower. Take care and happy writing life.